Hello everybody, good to see you all. You all alright? Young people, you all good? Yeah, good. Old people? Older people? <laughs> Easy. So if you'd like to turn to John chapter 12. And we'll look at verses 20 to 26. So John chapter 12 and verses 20 to 26. And it says, uh, this is from the ESV translation. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them by not answering them, but kind of answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man is to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whatever, sorry, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. So what's going on here? So first of all, um, they all went up to worship at the feast, so it's obviously, I imagine at some, uh, probably at the temple or they're at synagogue or something, and um, there are Greek Jews, as well as Hebraic Jews, there are Greek Jews as well, Hellenized Jews and Jews from Alexandria, etc. And so, but remember who Jesus was initially sent to. He was sent to the children of Israel, so he tended to spend most of his time with the Judean Jews. Uh, not much with the other kind of Jews, or the Greek Jews. He spent most of his time with them. Uh, and so when these Greeks come to ask one of the disciples, hey, can we come and speak to Jesus, please? Jesus kind of basically says, no, but yes, but no, but yes. Because what, what he's saying here is, well, you know what my ministry is primarily to the, to the lost sheep of Israel. So I'm not going to deal with them. But the good news is, if, like a seed, I go into the ground and die, then that which comes out of the ground will multiply and increase, and then all the Greeks can see as much of Jesus as they like when they see it manifest through his church, his body. You all get that? That's basically what he's saying there, so that's, that's the, initial, the initial thing. But the thing I want to focus on is about falling, a seed falling into the earth and dies. I was sent a text this morning uh, by uh, Brother John, and uh, he said to me, did you know it's the 250th year anniversary of the song Amazing Grace? How many times have it been sung, John? Uh, 10, million, 10 million a year. 10 million times a year. Now, if he was still alive and he got royalties for that, he's a wealthy guy. But anyway, that aside, so 10 million times a year for 250 years, okay? Now this is an example, actually, a really perfect example for this illustration, is the one man who was a slave trader, and I know I've, I've said this before, but just bear with me. The one man, he, he, was, he, had, he was a slave trader, and as we all know the story, I'm sure that he was on his ship with all this cargo of slaves, and the wind was howling, and the waves were rushing, and it looked like they were, they were done for. 
And I think, as my, as my memory recalls, he basically cried out to God saying, God, if you, can, if you save me, I'll, I'll stop this, I'll quit this, and I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And by God's grace, he survived. So then he had some reckoning to do, right? Well, I made this deal with God, so you know, I've got to do what I've got to do. And so that man laid down his life, gave up his wealth, and laid down his life for his Lord and Saviour. The legacy which he has left behind, like he literally died in Christ and laid down his life for Christ and loved not the things of the world, but the things of the kingdom. He laid down his life for Christ. And part of that man's legacy is that song. That he's in heaven. He was there 250 years ago. And we're still singing that song. And it, to me, if I, if I may be so bold, it's just as anointed now as it was the day it was written. It's a powerful, powerful song. And I think that will be one of the greats that will be sung to the end of days. And I think it will be one of the hymns when you get to heaven, it's like, hang on a minute. I remember this one. We used to sing this down on earth. Okay, it will be one of the great songs. And that's a, a wonderful example of falling into the ground and dying. But when it comes up out of the ground, it multiplies exponentially. And it leaves behind a legacy. The, the way of the kingdom of God is not the way of the kingdom of man, is it? Everything that God does is upside down and juxtaposition to the way the world does it. But I've got news for you. God does everything upside up. It's everybody else that's upside down. But the problem is we're so used to walking upside down all of the time that when we see something upside up, we think it's upside down. But you, you get the drift, right? It, God's ways are not man's ways. His ways are not our ways. And quite often, what I find... Uh, we can do is we have this kind of double vision we flip about I remember look, watching this science experiment it was on QED years ago where they worked out that as a, as a picture comes into the lens obviously it's inverted and the brain then flips that image around so they gave this guy for six weeks these glasses right but these glasses inverted the image the other way around so he was walking around with everything upside down right for six weeks and guess what his brain did after six weeks, his brain inverted it to go back the right way. Imagine his surprise when he took the glasses off again. And it, you know, and, but, but that's what it can be like for us as Christians. We're constantly up, we're, you know, right way up, upside down, up, up, upside down. And, it's, and this double-mindedness can really cost us sometimes where we're not quite looking at the world the right way up or it's upside down. And these are one of the things that we kind of need to work out here. Because one of the things that God wants his people to do is... The, the secret to life in God and the secret to longevity and the secret to what God wants to do to you and through you can only come about when you go into the ground and you give it up and die. <laughs> Nobody likes to die, right? Who wants to go in the meat grinder? Yeah, no one. Uh, for everyone listening to this, no one's put their hand up. Well, man just sneezed and his hand went up, but he's sneezing. No one's put their hand up, okay? Nobody wants to go in the meat grinder, right? But actually... That's the key. Death is the key to resurrection. And I've used this illustration before, but take a humble little butterfly. Oh, let's not take a butterfly. Let's take a little caterpillar, all right? A little, little green thing. Now, you know what happens to that caterpillar, right? We all know the story. It goes, makes a cocoon for itself when it's eaten enough, and it literally decomposes into mush, all right? And then it reconstructs into this beautiful butterfly. 
And that is a perfect illustration of eternal life, the resurrection of the dead, but it is also a wonderful example of the Christian life now. That if we do what God has asked us to do, even though it hurts sometimes, even though it's costly sometimes, what ends up coming out the other end is really powerful. But often we try to fake it, don't we? We're like the little caterpillar with fake cardboard wings on. Like, check out my wings, I'm really a butterfly. It's like, no, you're not, you're a caterpillar that's pretending to be a butterfly. And there are lots of us that pretend to be something, but we're not really there. Amen? Uh, we're all very trying, don't worry. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And uh, the other day, someone, someone said to me in this congregation, she said to me, oh, have, have you had another prophecy or anything? And uh, I was thinking of something along the lines myself, but, it, 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 but then it really kind of began to make me think about some stuff. You know, me, when people say things, it make, you know, prompts you to think what it should do. And I began to realise that, you know, we kind of, and, and the person who asked the question, I'm not, I'm not picking on you, I'm just pointing out, it was a good example. But we're kind of living in this generation, aren't we, where it's like, give me a prophecy. Give me a word. And then two weeks later, have you got another one? you got, got another prophecy? you got another word? You know, Abraham, I think, I think it was five or eight. I can't remember. It was a long time ago I did this study. I looked at how many times God had prophesied to him. And even though he kind of really prophesied the same thing, I think it was either five times or eight times. Now, that guy lived for a long time. How, does anyone know how long he lived till? 175. That's right. So he lived, I think, 175 years. He only had five prophecies to go on. Man, I don't know if I know if a charismatic could survive that. <laughs> God, you know, after a year, I'm like, I'm running on dry here. But, but he, he just believed in those simple promises and, and God brought those things to pass. And so sometimes prophecy takes time to, to work out. Things aren't as quick as we would like them to be. So some of the prophecies that I've had... Um, some of them come to pass quickly, and others, like that one I gave uh, several months back about the shifting seasons, is going to take 20 years to fully unravel itself. It just takes time. These things just take time. They're not quick. They're not overnight. And, um, you know, I've been sat on prophetic words. So I, I got saved when I was 17. Yeah, that's right, 17. Um, and when I, was, when, I was a, ooh, when I was in my 20s, I was working at this job down at the, uh, in the Navy and I was, one, I was on the buffers party. I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but I used to put up all the officers' marquees and take trash everywhere. It was, you know. But I loved it actually because it just let me, allow me to think about God. And as I used to read about the tabernacle and stuff and I'd be making these huge big tents, I'd just be thinking like, I was putting up the tabernacle, you know, just weird stuff, just so I could try and identify with the story. But anyway, when I was there, I felt God strongly say to me, I want you to go to Israel. Excuse me, I've got a runny nose. And uh, you anyone got a tissue? No? No, sorry, I'll just use my sleeve then. So, um, for, fortunately, go on then. Look at them, all these people want to throw stuff at me. People have been dying to do that. Oh, thank you. And I felt God say to me, uh, you've got to go to Israel and there I will reveal to you what my will is. Well, can't you do it in gospel? It's a lot closer. I wanted to go to Israel. So, so I managed, well, a few weeks later, I got this tax rebate and it gave me just enough money to buy a little toy that I wanted and to go to Israel, etc., etc. So I was very happy. 
So I went to Israel and I was with this couple and they toured me around Israel. They gave me a real condensed tour in three days. In the last three days, they, said, they just said, okay, where do you want to go? And I said, I just want to stay in Jerusalem. I just want to walk around Jerusalem for you know, the next few days. They were prepared to even drop me off into the wilderness if I wanted to. I was like, I'm not that super spiritual. I'm good. Just Jerusalem will do for now. So they dropped me off into Jerusalem and I, and I, I sort of wandered around for three days. Not, you know, I did go home in the evenings, but I wandered around for three days. And on the last night, there was this huge, big Messianic Jewish conference. People were in from all around the world. It was, it was really good. And you had uh, some old guys there like um, Matt Schwartz and Morris Sorello. And I was right on the front row because that's where the anointing is. So I made sure I was on the front row. And um, that's a lie. The anointing isn't on the front row in case anyone thinks I'm telling the truth. Is it really? So I was sat there on the front row. And, you know, and Morris Sorello, I even got spat on by him. It was a great honor. And uh, so I got, I got spat on by him and uh, a few other things. But at the end of the conference... Uh, I had these people come up to me from different nations and one guy was from Canada and he came up to me and said, oh, um, God's given me a word for you. I was like, oh, good, what is it? And uh, he said, you know, God's called you to be an end time prophet to the nations. I was like, oh, I like that word. That sounds fun. So off he went. He anointed me with oil. Off he went. And then another guy came up and he was from America and he said, oh, God's given me a word for you. And I was like, oh, what is it? He said, God's called you to be an end time prophet to the nations. I was like, oh, good. He said, but. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to be broken and go through some stuff if you want to carry that kind of anointing. And I was like, mm, I, don't know. I felt really like, discouraged. I didn't like that. Really. <laughs> so I went away. And, and of course, I came back home. And, and also God also told me when I was in Israel, within the year, you'll be married. <laughs> there she is. So, yeah, hallelujah. So I got, I got myself a couple of prophecies, bagged a wife, all good. So anyway, so, so all was fine for about five years, living a normal married life. And, uh, and then that's when the first of the dreams that I, I, that I started getting. And as I said, I've been sat on dreams now for 25 years. You know, God has shown me things back then that are only just coming to pass now. He showed me dreams where technology existed in this dream that didn't exist then. But now it does exist. It's like drones. In this dream, I was seeing drones and stuff, you know, and I saw the technology up close. God permitted me to see it and how it works and everything. It was like... Well, what is that? 25 years later, that's now commonplace technology. So I know we're moving into the times of which God has been shown. There's loads of things I've never told anyone because it's not the time yet. But there's some things that you sit on for a long, long time. Some of you have been sat on some stuff for a very long, long time. But what you can't do, and this is what I, I've all, you know, we've all done it, where you just get discouraged. You're like, you know what? It has been 20 years now and it's still not come to pass and I'm getting rather discouraged. But you see, God doesn't see time the way that you and I see time. You see, God's been saying he'll return soon for a very long time. I'm coming back soon. Now, that was 2000 years ago. OK, so he sees time in a very different way that, that we do. But God wants to encourage people that it's important that you hang on and keep hanging on and you keep hanging on. But you see, in the process of time, God wants to deal with things in our life. Now, let's take Joseph from the Bible, for example. Okay, he was betrayed by his brothers, okay, sold as a slave. Now, we read these Bible stories. We're brought up on cartoons and Sunday school stories. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is really great. Joseph was betrayed by his, by his brothers and he was sent off to Egypt and became this really famous, amazing, wise guy. What a lovely story. If we just take the cartoon Sunday school stuff out of it for a minute 
I want you to put yourself into a position where it's like you're with a family, you know, and you don't seem to get on a lot, a lot of arguments going on because you think you're something special and the other brothers don't like that. And then one day they bind you, kidnap you and sell you into slavery where you will never see your family again. You are sold as a slave. You can't go where you want to go. You're in chains. You're in shackles. And finally, you get to Egypt and you get sold to this, this, this place. And things look like they're finally going all right for you. You know, even though you're far away from your family and everyone thinks you're dead. But he's like, well, I'm at this, this, you know, this, this guy's house. And, you know, I'm big, God seems to be honoring me here. This is good. Good. I, you know, and we'll make, we'll, make good out, we'll make positive out of this bad scenario. And things look like they're going good, right? And then he gets accused of trying to rape this guy's wife. So then he gets put in prison. Do you know how long he was in prison for? 15 long, long years. No one wants to take this guy's case. No one cares as far as they're concerned. It's a, it's a finished deal. He's in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And as far as he's concerned, he's in there to rot. All right, so hopefully you're getting the picture now, right? Now, while he's down there, and he's still, you know, being blessed even in that pit, but he's got to deal with his issues. If it wasn't for my brothers, I wouldn't be in this place. And so he had to deal with his issues. Because, you see, you can never be who God calls you to be until you deal with your issues. You can't have an attitude problem. You can't be in unforgiveness. You can't be passing the blame and always blaming someone else sometime. You've got to take some personal responsibility. You know, we can't always be passing the can, kicking the can, whatever it is that you want to do. Sometimes you've got to take responsibility. And I don't, I don't know, but... And even when he dealt with his issues, which I'm sure must have been painful, God still left him down there. And then comes finally... These guys, and he interprets their, their dreams, the, the butler and the baker, yeah, and the candlewick maker. So he, he, tran he translates their dreams, say, hey guys, please remember me, you know, get me a lawyer or something, get me out of here. And they forgot about him. Two years have gone. Now, whilst this is going on, he's got these words from God. You will become this great leader and all your own people and your clan shall bow down before you. <laughs> and he knows that he's destined for greatness. He knows in every fibre of his being that God has chosen him to do something great. Yet here he is with his only chance to get out of there long gone. I personally think, it says in the Psalms, about how Joseph was down in that pit and how he resolved things with his God. I think he had to come to a place where it's a, it's a difficult place to come to, where in part it's a resignation, but always living in faith that God will do what he promised to do. Resignation in the sense of, well, that's what God said. Even if I get out of here when I'm 90, it will happen. And he had to sit there and wait down there and some days must have been fine and other days must have just seconds must have felt like hours down there that is a man who went into the ground literally into the pit 
died and then came out. And when he came out like a seed, he came out as this beautiful thing. Something and someone that God could really use. You know, I remember years ago, um, I, 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 was, I was that annoying Christian in the church that always caused that she's smiling because she knows she was there. Right? <laughs> I was that annoying, like, do you remember the cartoon Scrappy-Doo? Yeah. Let me at him! Let me at him! And you like hold him. It's like, oh, hang on there. And he's like, he's trying to run to get at these bad guys and he's like about that big. I, I was that guy. And I was like, but, but I, I had a really bad attitude. I was the guy that was like, I can do it better than the leaders. I was about, how old was I? Please help me. 18, between 19, 20, 20. Actually, actually, to be fair, it was probably till I was probably 30. Let's be honest. So I was, I was, you know, I was just in this place and I was just a constant pain in the neck. I, I mean, I was, and I know that I was. And, and uh, I had this arrogancy about me and thought that I knew best and I knew better and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, when you, Jesus says, doesn't he, when, when, he, when he converts poor, he says, why are you kicking against the goats? You know, when you're constantly trying to get, what God, get God to do something, but all you do is you're just kicking things and nothing's happening. Nothing's going in your way. The way you want it to go is just not going to happen. And it just is never going to go that way, no matter what it is you think you're destined to do, no matter how great you think you're going to be or how wonderful that prophecy is, until you get your attitude in line, that is never going to happen. Because if you don't get your attitude in order and God raises you up to do the things he's called you to do, you'll destroy yourself and everybody in your ministry with you. How many people in ministry have gone and self-destroyed and taken out a whole swathe of Christians with them when they went? We can't afford that anymore. We can't afford to play those games. And so you might be in a position where you think, well, I'm, I know that God has called me. I've had these prophecies and stuff. But I would say to you that you might be frustrated right now and that you might not be doing the things that you, you know that you should be doing. But I would say this, like Pharaoh, not Pharaoh, what's his name? Joseph, when you're down in that pit, it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place to do business with God. Because if you've got issues, okay, why walk around with them for 20 years? If you've got addictions, why have you still got them? If you've got problems with your mum, well, come on, guys. I know I'm probably going to make someone cry in a minute, but, you know, we've just got to, got to deal with it. We can't, we can't keep going forward and having these big anchors dragging behind us wherever we're going. We've got to deal with those issues in our life because God wants to use you. God wants to work through you. Now, I'm not saying you must be perfect before God can use you because actually it's in the imperfection where he will do some marvellous things to us as well. But you've got to deal with those core issues, which is the issue of your character. You don't get a lot of churches talking about character. It's all about get your breakthrough in, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, your breakthrough's coming. Your breakthrough's coming. Yeah, we do what maybe it is, I don't know, but we do all this kind of stuff. And it's like, but actually, God wants to deal with your character. He wants to break you, melt you, mold you, shape you, so that you, still retaining your identity, can become Christ like. So when people see you, they see you, but at the same time, they see Jesus. But the only way that you can become what you need to become is be that little seed. Go into the ground and die. 
<laughs> and some of us got to stay in the ground for a very long time. But while you're down in the ground, that seed isn't really dead. Because what's it doing? It's reaching out and then it starts to get the moisture and then the roots start to come out and then it starts to fan out and fan out and then eventually something starts to come up. But you see, if you're called, now not everyone is called to be like this, but if you're called to be an oak tree, i.e. someone in the kingdom that, that is quite important in many ways. We're all important, I get it, I know. But there are different types of trees. There are some trees that, boom, they grow up really quick, don't they? You know, you see a little seed in your garden, you go, oh, I'll get around to that next year. Two years later, what on earth? Where did that come from? It's this huge 30-foot tree in your garden. Yeah, but then there are other trees, like the mighty oak. I mean, that's a slow-growing tree, right? But when it grows and it grows, it becomes one of the strongest and the most proudest of English trees to look at. And so... God doesn't want you to be discouraged. God wants you to be encouraged. And God wants you to grow to be what it is he's called you to be. But, but at the same time, this is a perfect opportunity that if you are in the grounds and you're going through that death process, then man, grab the bull by the horns. And if we're going to do death, let's do it good. And let's get it done and over with. You know, if you've got family issues and stuff like that, let's deal with it. If you've got healing issues inside of you, you know, where you're hurt and broken from things in your life, let's deal with it. Let's get that stuff done now. So the Holy Spirit's telling me something. If you've got measles and you preach mumps, everyone will still get measles. In other words, you could be a preacher, for example, this is one that just comes to mind. You could be a preacher. But if you've got a bad attitude and something's not right within you, and you're preaching one thing, but inside you're another, I'll mark my words, they will pick up not what you say, but who you are and what God is doing through you as well. And so people can become rebellious because there's sometimes someone up here who doesn't have their heart right before God and they're rebellious, maybe against the church or what have you, and, and they're preaching into church, you do that long enough and everyone in the room will slowly but surely pick up their spirit and start being you know, what is all this church stuff for and things like, you know, and it's really important. It's really important that we get business done in our heart and take God seriously. Because, you know, we're coming into difficult days and God, was, I believe, is going to do some wonderful things with the church. I was uh, last night, I was in the car and I just felt God say, you need to just go to the beginning of your prophecies on your phone. Go back to prophecy one. And I started listening to it. And it was about this verse. But he was talking about his church, how his church is going to go into the ground. And seemingly it will look like it's gone, it's dead. But it isn't. It's just underground for a season. Because over, I guess, the next several years, you will see maybe lots of churches close because of economic issues and various other things. You'll just see them disappear. And the world might look on. I mean, the ONS censor that we had, you know, that made national news. Do you remember? Whereas like, what has happened to Christianity in the last 10 years, the decline is shocking. If for a, a statistician, however you say it, to, uh, to be like, wow, that's something of note. Yeah, that's a secular person noting how bad it is in the decline of Christendom. You can see from the natural, it doesn't look good for us, right? I was listening to some Anglican preacher the other day. Uh, he was talking to some other guy in America. And he basically said by 2050, if things don't change, 
you know, we're going to go from a couple of percent right down to half a percent or something like that. He said it's really bad, it's really serious. And I'm thinking, oh, finally. Finally. Because God gave me this other dream many years ago. And there were these buildings all over Britain. And every one of these buildings, you couldn't avoid it. Every building had this fungal infection that was, it was steaming like this foam. And it was just in all the woodwork of these structures. And it was just eating away till eventually they would all collapse. There was no cure for it. Every house, every spiritual house in all of Britain, all collapsed and caved in on itself. But sometimes you see some illnesses you can't treat until it's done what it's done. And then it starves itself then it's dead. And then from that death, new life can come. This is not what's going to happen. It's not going to be the whole church is going to die and what comes out of the ground is going to like this crazy, freaky, alien-looking thing that no one's ever seen before. It will actually look very much like what it looks like today. But the difference will be you and me because our hearts will have been changed because we'll have done business with God because we've been into the pit. We've been into the ground. We've gone through the meat grinder and we've come out the other end stronger, more refined, more purified, more on fire, more in love for him and less in love with the things of the world and less inclined to bring that nonsense out there and bring it into the church. Because God doesn't want uncircumcised and uh, pagan stuff in his church anymore. I'll just go to Isaiah 52. My wife's looking at me adoringly. It makes me worried. You're right. Sure. I'm not in trouble. And it says, this is from verse 1, Isaiah 52. It says, Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. God wants his church where she wakes up and puts on her garments of righteousness and stops trying to put on other garments of righteousness or other garments of, uh, I don't know, whatever the social fad is at the moment. Um, the, the, the fad of environmentalism. Let's put that one on, for example. We're not going to allow the things of the world into the church. We're not going to allow uncircumcised or unclean things back into God's holy church. I believe that one we're coming into is that God is going to bring his church back to a place of orthodoxy again, where it's, it's not just about me, myself, I and the word. It is actually about understanding the nature of church and the nature of Jesus and the nature of his Bible in context of those things as well. Because you see, we live in a generation where, I was speaking to someone about this earlier, is one of the, one of the things that came out of the Reformation, which probably went too far the other way, um, was the doctrine of sola scriptura. Now, I fully believe in the doctrine of sola scriptura. It is by scripture alone, everything that we, we do. But the problem with, with sola scriptura is that it's taken the authority of the church to, tr to interpret difficult scriptures away from the church and gave it to the individual so now anybody can interpret scripture as they see fit. And there is no central authority which says, yeah, that's not quite right. It should have been a halfway house. You know, with, with, before the Reformation with the Catholics, it was like everything was about tradition and church tradition. And, and it was almost like scripture was at the, the bottom of the rank. And so the Reformation put it back to the top of the rank. But in the process, they then jettisoned our church history out with it. Consequently, 
Christians now are making the same mistakes that the early church made because they don't know their own history. They don't know that some of the traditions of the church and why they're there. They don't understand why we believe in the Trinity. They don't know about things like Arianism and, and how that nearly wrecked and ravished the whole church. What's Arianism? Where you don't believe that Jesus is truly God, but you just believe he's the son of God. But I see this stuff back in the church now all the time. We've got 250,000 denominations because we can't agree to agree on scripture, which is madness. So I believe that in this move that's coming, that we will come back to an orthodoxy uh, of the word and, and things that are unclean and the things of the uncircumcised, of worldliness, will not come back into the church. So shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck. In other words, stop being a slave. Do you know the church has knowingly and willingly made herself into a slave? We're so obsessed with what people think about us. Oh, well, if I, if I go along with this, maybe the world might not, you know, maybe it'll like me a little bit more than it does and all this kind of stuff. How many of you have heard that where we've, where we've fudged our doctrine, we've fudged our principles so that we can keep the world happy? The world don't care about you. They don't care. I'll tell you what, what the world, and I've seen this on TV, people like Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, I've watched her interview Christians that are fudging the difficult questions. You can see the lack of respect in her eyes. When she's asking this Christian a question, she quite really, she knows the answer she wants to hear because obviously she can use it to give him a good beating. But at the same time, she wants to hear it from a Christian. But because he's on national TV, I've got to be careful what I'm saying here because it might be my turn one day, but he said, because she's on national TV and he, and he doesn't want to cause offence, he doesn't say what he needs to say to save face, and you can just see the disrespect in her eyes, even though she wants to entrap him with the question. The world is looking for a church that is actually going to stand up for what is right. The world is looking for some Christians that are just going to say, yeah, no, that's wrong. That is wrong, and we're not going to go along. I love you in the name of Jesus. I don't agree with you, but that's not what we believe. And we're not, going to, we're not going to fudge. We're not going to keep walking back. We're not going to keep going back. We're going to draw a line in the sand, which is what the Bible says. And you are not crossing it anymore. This is the church of Christ. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to anyone else. It belongs to him. It's his church and it's his bride and it's his wife. Amen. And it will come about as we as Christians, I'm finishing now, don't worry, but it will come about as we as Christians really start just, you know what? It's not hard, is it? If you know that you've got some issues in your life, then go and see someone. Get some prayer, get it sorted. Because I believe, you know, and I preached several months ago about getting Egypt out of our hearts. We need to be in a place where we're strong and we need to be strong in God because there's shaking coming. There's shaking coming to this world. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But you need to be in a place of strength in God. You need to be in a place where you're secure in God. So when the shaking comes, you don't get shaken with it. But we will go through the meat grinder. But when you go through the meat grinder, know that it's, it's a good place to be. Because what comes out the other end, is going to be lovely, wholesome sausages. Hallelujah, glory be to God. And, uh, and what comes out the other... <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, just checking if you're still awake. I got to get some weird stuff going on out there. You don't really want to know. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. God wants his church to no longer be captive anymore, but to be who she is, which is the bride of Christ to be. 
It's your privilege. It's your honour. It's our great joy. And God is going to bring us up. He's going to let us go down into the ground. And when we come up out of the ground, we're going to be bigger, better, stronger than we've ever been before. But when you go down into the ground, use that as an opportunity to do business with God. Get Egypt out of your heart. Deal with the issues in our lives so that when we come out the other end, we will be stronger in him. Amen. Amen.